Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. If you are using the Blue Pew Bible, you can find chapter 12 at the bottom of page 8. Again, we will be reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Please join me in standing as we honor God's holy and inerrant word. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity that we have to be able to gather together, not only to worship you, but also to hear your word preached. For your word says that a person who meditates upon your word is blessed. And so we ask that your spirit would help us to do that this morning, not only to meditate on it, but to also see how we might be able to obey it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a theme in my life, especially this past week, a reoccurring theme, a word that has been repeated is this topic and this word of obedience. Now, the word obedience keeps on showing up in my life. Josephine and I started listening to a series of lessons on parenting. And one of the lessons in this parenting workshop, parenting class, it covered the topic of obedience. How do you teach your children obedience? When I attended small group, we were having dinner together. We were having a discussion, a conversation about how to discipline kids in relation to obedience. And then when I read this morning's passage to study for this morning's sermon, again, it was about the topic of obedience. So it seems as though God wants us, not only for you all, but also for myself, to really think about this topic of how to obey. Now, all this talk about obedience prompted me to really think, 
why does obedience not feel good at times? Why does obeying just not feel very joyful? I mean, I imagine a kid who asks his mom at the grocery store, can I have a bag of Skittles? And mom answers, no. And to obey means refrain from asking for Skittles. But the kid has Skittles on the mind and also on the heart. He can taste the colors of the rainbow. He must have it. And, but to obey means having that desire unfulfilled. It just doesn't feel good. I mean, think about obeying God's command to share the gospel with other people. You share the gospel, and they may ridicule you or laugh at you for believing in such an outdated faith. You obeyed, but it just doesn't feel good. You feel hurt, possibly embarrassed. Or imagine a husband attempting to love his wife as the Bible commands. He stops by the grocery store on the way home, buys flowers to show appreciation for his wife, and when he shows up at home with this bundle of flowers, the wife says, oh, you're so sweet, but don't you remember? I don't like carnations. The husband feels hurt, deflated, hopeless, all this effort for nothing. And it makes me think that maybe the reason why we don't obey is because we can't always see the payoff. We don't see the benefit. I mean, what is the benefit of a kid refraining from having a bag of Skittles? What is the payoff for sharing the gospel if we continue to face ridicule? What is the payoff if we love our spouses, but then they dismiss our displays of affection? And I wonder if that lack of payoff, the lack of benefit, is sometimes the way that we think about God's commands to us. We wonder to God, we ask God, so what is the benefit or the blessing of me obeying you? Why should we obey God? What motivates us to obey him? What compels us to follow his instructions? Now, I think that our text this morning in Genesis answers this particular question. In fact, it gives us a motivation for obedience, a reason to obey, and explains why we should obey even though we may not see a payoff. Now, this morning we're continuing in this series in Genesis. Now, if you're here last week, Pastor Jason explained that we're taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians this summer, and, and we're going back into the book of Genesis. And we were in Genesis last, we stopped with the Tower of Babel, and this summer series, we're going to be focusing on the life of Abraham. So if you haven't turned there in your Bible yet, uh, please turn to Genesis chapter 12, because that's where we'll be spending our time this morning. Genesis chapter 12. Now, in this text, we're going to learn three things about faithful obedience. We'll learn three things about faithful obedience from the call of Abraham. First, you have the promise of faithful obedience. And then we'll talk about the requirement of faithful obedience. And lastly, we'll talk about the reason for faithful obedience. So the promise, the requirement, the reason, three things about faithful obedience. Now, let's talk about this first idea about faithful obedience, the promise. What is the promise of faithful obedience? Well, God promises to bless faithful obedience. God plans to reward those who obey him. He will enrich the lives of those who follow his instructions. 
that God ensures that those who obey will receive some kind of benefit, that God promises to bless faithful obedience. Now, in this morning's text, we'll see that God promises to bless Abram if he obeys. That if Abram carries out his instructions to the letter, then God will reward him. God promises to bless Abraham if he obeys. Now, let's look at God's command to Abraham. God commands Abram to go to a land that he will show him. So let's turn our attention to verse 1 of chapter 12. Let me read it for us. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now the instruction seems pretty simple. Abram, pack your bags, leave your family, follow me on a journey to an unknown land. But what we may not realize is the cost, that Abram will have to leave the comfort of the city of Haran. He will need to sever any type of relational connections, and he needs to make this journey alone. And this journey, this obedience, is costly. But then there is a promise. God promises a rich blessing to Abram. Look at verse 2. It says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So look at the promise in verse 2, that first half, I will make you a great nation. Now, to be a nation requires two ingredients, two things. First, a person to be a nation, you need to have people. It's kind of hard to be a nation of one. So this means that God promises that Abraham will have children. Second, a nation, you need land, you need territory. So this means that God promises to give Abram land. Now let's think about this word blessing. The word bless in different forms shows up in verses two and three five times. But what does it mean to be blessed? Now, Moses uses the word blessed to describe the relationship between God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That Adam and Eve, they were blessed because they experienced an unhindered relationship with God, and they had all their physical needs met in the garden. So to be blessed biblically means experiencing a rich relationship with God and also his provision for our physical, emotional, and relational needs. Now, remember how I said that the word blessed is repeated five times in these two verses. Why does Moses use this word this many times in the span of just two verses? Well, if you review Genesis chapter 1 through 11, then you'll discover that the word blessing occurs five times. God blesses the birds and the fish, to fill the skies and the sea. God blesses man, and then God blesses the Sabbath day. God blesses man again, and then God blesses Noah. And so we discover in Genesis chapter 1 through 11 that God still wants to bless humanity and all creation, even though it is under curse. And now in Genesis chapter 12, we discover that that channel of blessing will be through Abraham if he obeys. That God's plan to bless humanity continues now through this man, 
should he obey? Now, you may be wondering, well, why does God want to bless humanity and creation, especially if it's still experiencing curse, the corruption of sin? Now, the word curse means to render something powerless, that is unable to be fruitful. It's not able to be productive. Now, since humanity and creation are under curse, that means it'll never be able to achieve its full potential. Now, if you do the same exercise of reading through Genesis 1 through 11, and you note wherever the word curse is used, then you'll also notice that the word curse is used five times. God curses the serpent, God curses the ground, God curses Cain, and then Moses reminds Israel again of the curse on the ground, and then Noah curses Canaan. Now, one commentator suggests that the reason why blessing is repeated five times in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, is to also show how God will reverse the curse through Abram if he chooses to obey. That God's restoration of mankind and creation will occur through Adam, or through Abram. Now, there's one comment I want to make, because we talked about it last week, is that, remember how Jason noted that Last week, there was the word Shem, which means name that's often repeated in the text, because humanity attempted to build a tower to make a name for itself, and this resulted in God dispersing them to the ends of the earth because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And then Abram is from the line of Shem, name. And here in verse 2, we see the word name occurring again, that Abram does not make his name great, but God will, that God will make Abram famous if he chooses to obey. So God promises these rich blessings to Abraham for obedience, that he promises to make them him a nation, that God will bless him with a relationship with himself and to meet his needs, that Abram will be the channel by which God will reverse the curse and bring blessing to all of mankind, that God will make Abram his name known through all the earth. Now, the promise of blessing doesn't just end with Abram, that God promises to bless his people when they obey. God rewards obedience. Before Israel enters into the promised land, God presents them with a choice. If they disobey, if they turn away from him, they will experience curse. If Israel obeys, then they will experience blessing. And Jesus himself says that if we keep his commands, then we will experience the blessing of experiencing his love. And that we can also experience a peace if we obey God presenting, by presenting our concerns to him in prayer. Now, I mean, many of us can even see that there is reward when we obey now. Now, think about that kid. If he refrains from asking for the Skittles, then the family experiences various blessings. No Skittles means no contribution to tooth decay. This means less visits to the dentist, lower bills. It could also teach the child discernment. How do I discern if something is a need or a want? Or it could teach self-control. I can say no to the things that are unhelpful, that there are practical benefits to obedience. I mean, think about the uh, benefits of obeying traffic laws. By obeying the traffic laws, you can get to your destination safely. Uh, there are even benefits of obeying your 
doctor's counsel to exercise regularly. You feel more energized. Your body is more nimble. Now, one might think, well, if that's the case, then one doesn't really need God to obey rules and instructions that benefit us. So why do we need God? How does having a relationship with Jesus actually help me to obey? Well, I mean, I would argue with you that, yeah, you might be able to do some of these things on your own strength, but you'll discover that your strength is limited. I mean, you don't have infinite willpower. For instance, you know that it would be good for you to reconcile with a friend because there's been a conflict, but you lack the desire to reconcile because you think they deserve to be on the blacklist. They should be on the do not invite to any type of social event list. And you lack the resources or even the desire or the willpower to restore such a relationship. And if you don't believe in God, then the question is, well, where else can you draw help from? What other resources are available to you? How do you muster up enough strength to reconcile a relationship that you know that you should reconcile, but you don't want to? Just as an example then this brings us to the requirement of faithful obedience. One might equate Christianity to a list of things that you should do and things you should not do. But then if that's the case, Christianity has very little to distinguish itself from other religions. I mean, other religions tell you what to do and what not to do. But Christianity is more than morality because it identifies why you are unable to carry out moral behavior consistently and we call it sin. That the Christian faith not only addresses the root cause of why we cannot obey, but it also empowers us to obey the commands of God as well. And this is the requirement for obedience. Some of the question would be, well, what is the requirement? What is required? Well, faithful obedience requires a trust in God. To obey God requires a faith in God to come through that you need to place your hope in God, you need to place your trust in Him, that you need to believe that God will do what He promised to do, that faithful obedience requires a trust in God. And we see this trust in Abram's life. That Abram trusted and needed to trust in God when he obeyed. He needed to believe that God would do what He said He would do. Now, remember the two things that are needed for Abram to become a nation. He needed people, and he needed land. And he had neither. In fact, the text highlights the lack of an heir. Uh, look with me at verse 4. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, let's look at these verses in a little bit more detail. So we're saying, Abram does not have an heir. Now look at the detail in the text. It says that, verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife. But we learn earlier in chapter 11, Sarai is barren. She can't have children. That means she is not able to produce any seed. So then if God blesses Abram, how is he going to be fruitful and multiply? 
Now, Abraham may already have a solution uh, because he may have expected to continue his line through Lot because Lot accompanies him on this journey. Because if you recall, Lot's father, Haran, died earlier in chapter 11. And so Abraham may have taken his nephew Lot as kind of an adopted son of sorts. But we still have an issue like, is God going to provide descendants through Lot? I mean, how will God provide heirs from Abram? So you still have the problem. No people. And then you have the second problem. The nation needs land. And Abram has no land. In fact, the Canaanites inhabit the land. If you look at verse 6, when I read it again, it says, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And not only were the Canaanites in the land, look at the place that he goes to. He goes to the oak of Moreh. Now, the word more means instruction, so it's the tree of instruction. And it seems to imply that the people in the land went to this tree to worship and to receive instruction. So he's in this land occupied by Canaanites who are pagans who do not believe in God, and he's supposed to possess this land? How is he going to do it? Now, these problems may seem insurmountable, especially from a human perspective, but God promises to give Abram, especially to his descendants, the land. Let's look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Now note the contrast in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Abram, and now the Lord appears to Abram. This is actually the first time that God appears in the Scriptures. And he shows up because God knows that Abram needs an in-person meeting with him where he will affirm his promise to ensure Abram, I will fulfill my promise to you. And look at what the verse says. It says, to your offspring. Again, it seems to foreshadow the fulfillment that God will give Abram children. And then it says, I will give this land meaning that the nation will have a territory and land. God will guarantee both children and also the land. But Abram needs to trust in God's word. Now, what does it mean for us to trust in God? It means that we need to believe that God knows best. It means that we need to believe and to trust that God knows better than we do what we should do in every single circumstance situation. That to obey God requires us to depend upon his word rather than our own. Think about sharing our faith. We find ourselves often talking ourselves out of it. I mean, when we might say to ourselves, she's not ready yet. I think she needs to attend church two more times. Maybe that'll bring up the gospel. Or we might think, well, she just shared about oh, why she's in this kind of downturn, what her purpose in life is, and why work seems to be a futile effort. But if I bring up the gospel at this moment, it's going to be awkward. It's better for me to keep my mouth shut. And we talk ourselves out of obeying God to share our faith with others. And it's actually in those moments that we need to remember God's words How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That God designed it so that we would participate in sharing the gospel with others, even though God does the work of conversion. Yes, we may encounter ridicule. Yes, we may encounter the cold shoulder. Yes, we may encounter the awkwardness. But all these icky things we feel, 
allows us to identify in part with what Christ felt to redeem us. Now let's return to those who think, well, how does this requirement of trusting in God help me to obey? How does having a trust in God actually enable me to experience flourishing that accompanies obedience? Well, to trust God means that I recognize that I do not have the resources or the abilities to love my neighbors. I don't have the strength to love people consistently well. I don't want to reconcile with them. I don't want to be honest with them. I don't even want to be generous toward them. And I need help. And to trust God means that you need his resources, you need his aid, and that God has sufficient riches to empower you to obey. But then the question is, well, how do we know that God has sufficient resources to empower us to obey? How do we know that God can do this? And to answer this question, it requires us to think about the reason for obedience. What motivates us to obey? That we obey faithfully because God's past blessing foreshadows a future blessing. That God's past provision serves as an indicator of future provision. That God's care in the past teaches us that God will care for us in the future. That we obey faithfully because God's past blessing foreshadows a future blessing. Now, so then the question is, well, how do we see this in Abram's life? Well, God has Abram obeying him because God brings him into the land. That even though Abram obeyed by going, God is the one who provided him the resources to actually get to the land. And this act of entering into the land foreshadows the future possession of the land by his descendants. And let me put it another way. That Abram obeyed faithfully because God brought him into the land while foreshadowing future possession of the land. And you may be wondering, well, Henry, where do you see this? Well, let me read the remaining verses in our passage. And you'll discover that there is a word that is repeated here. Beginning with the last half of verse 7. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, there's a word that's repeated here twice. It's the word altar. Now, altars are constructed and built to express gratitude to God. Now, you have to wonder, why does Abram build these altars in these specific locations? It's because the construction of the altars in these key locations in the land foreshadows a future conquest. Well, what do I mean? Well, think about the location of Shechem. If you're looking at a map of Israel, Shechem would be in the northern part of Canaan. Now, think about the location between Bethel and Ai. It'd be in the middle of Canaan. And then later, the next altar we find in a later chapter is going to be built in Hebron, is the southern part of Canaan. So if you connect the dots, it represents a type of possession of the land. It's as though God brought him faith in the land, but it also foreshadows the future conquest of the land. So let's revisit this idea of past blessing. 
So Abram constructs these altars to express gratitude to the Lord, but altars also point forward. As I said before, they foreshadow something that is to come. So what motivates Abram's faithful obedience, God's path faithfulness, and also his future faithfulness? And so we have a choice to make. Will we obey God? Will we choose to do what he instructs? And why would I actually ask that? Because you have to look at the location of that first altar is in the city of Shechem. Now, what's the big deal? Its name is Shechem. But if you look at a map, you'll realize that Shechem lays between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Now, if you've read through the book of Deuteronomy, then you'll remember <clears throat> there's two specific things that happen at these mountains. Israel utters blessings from Mount Gerizim, and then Israel utters curses for disobedience from Mount Ebal. And you have Shechem right there in the middle. It's as though Abram builds this altar at Shechem, challenging his original readers, Israel, and also to us. Which will you choose? Will you obey? Now you may be thinking, well, that's good for Abram. God brought him into the land. God will give him the land. But what does it have to do with us? How we experience God's faithfulness. Now remember how God promises to bless the nations through Abram. That means we have received blessing through Abram. Well, what do I mean? So you have altars, three altars, Shechem, Bethel, Hebron. And that represents God faithfully bringing him into the land. It represents the future possession of the land. But recall what I said about God making Abram a nation. You just don't need land. You also need people. You need heirs. You need offspring. Now, after Abram builds the altar in Hebron, he builds one more altar. And it happens in many chapters later. He builds it on a mountain in the land of Moriah. And this altar will represent God's faithful provision of a son, Isaac. And this altar then foreshadows that God will provide Abram many descendants. And it fulfills, in part, his promise to make Abram a nation. But then how about that blessing? We were saying that we are blessed through Abram. What does an altar at this mountain in the land of Moriah have to do with us? Well, many believe that the land of Moriah refers to the city of Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, another son would be offered up. Jesus Christ, and he would experience the curse of separation from God, but rise three days later so that we can experience a renewed relationship with God. And if you trace Jesus' lineage back, then you will see that Abram was his forefathers. So why do believers obey God? We don't obey God merely to get riches and his blessings. We obey God because we have already received the richest blessing in Christ. That God's faithfulness to us in his Son resulted in us receiving the Holy Spirit that empowers us to obey. And as for those of you who wonder, why can't I live a good life? Why is it that I still desire to do good and I can't find myself doing it consistently? 
the answer lies in recognizing that you lack the strength to do it. You lack the capacity to do good all the time because of sin. And if you're willing to recognize your inability to save yourself and place your faith in Christ, then the power to obey will be availed to you as well. And it requires us to recognize God's faithfulness. For it is his faithfulness that motivates you to obey. So what should you do when you find it difficult? Because sometimes obeying God is not always easy. That you have to look at past blessings when obedience is hard, and that these past blessings will foreshadow future blessings. We can look at the work of the cross for us, that Jesus obeyed faithfully so that we might be able to obey God now. And the cross foreshadows the future blessing of the resurrected body where we will not have the presence of sin hindering our ability to obey. That with our resurrected bodies, we will be able to obey God all the time, completely, joyfully, and consistently. But God has also given us more practical things to remind us to obey. And for the couples out there, those who are married, it may be difficult to love your spouse. Why do I need to work out another conflict? Why do I need to date my wife? Why do I need to love my husband? When it gets hard, look at your wedding band. May it serve as a reminder that the God who is faithful to bring you together is also going to be faithful to sustain you in your marriage. That you ask him for help to do things to help your marriage flourish. And that if you obey, you will experience the blessing of a thriving marriage. Or you might suffer from an estranged relationship with your adult children. Maybe they don't call anymore. Maybe they don't visit. They don't even invite you out for dinner. And you may sense that you need to own up to how you might have contributed to the friction of the relationship, but you don't want to. Look at the photos of your children. May those photos remind you how God faithfully provided these children to you. And if God was faithful to provide these children to you, this beautiful family, then God will supply you the strength to own up to your mistakes and also ask for forgiveness. After all, God has forgiven you of your past transgressions. And that if you obey, you'll experience the blessing of a renewed relationship with your children. And even if you don't reconcile with your kids, you will experience a renewed peace knowing that you've been faithful to the Lord. So why do we obey? We discuss three things from this text. God promises to bless faithful obedience. That faithful obedience requires a trust in the Lord and that we obey faithfully because past blessings foreshadow future blessing. So let me close with just this one line from the chorus of a familiar hymn. Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that there are a lot of things that you call us to do in our lives you call us to obedience, but sometimes it's hard. It's not easy because it doesn't feel good. We pray that in those times that your spirit would remind us of the truths that are found in your word, that there is blessing that comes with obedience, but also how we can look to your past empowerment, your past blessing, and how that will point to future blessing that comes with obedience. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit 
who obey you in all things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.